When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's one of the most famous quotes of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that you may have heard already. Perhaps the most well-known one that comes from the heart of his book, The Cost of Discipleship. As we saw last week, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great theologian and pastor from the first half of the 20th century, lived in Germany and was caught up in resistance to the Nazi regime. And amongst his great works comes this fantastic book, The Cost of Discipleship, from which that quote comes, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That quote comes from the middle of the book, but the original preface to the book, who was written by a friend of his, George Bell, who was the bishop of um, Chichester, I think it was, um, George Bell wrote this, and it opens the original editions of of the book. It says, he says, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a martyr many times before he died. And uh, it's true, as we look at his life, we see that uh, he was one of the bravest witnesses um, against idolatry and the evils that that can take. Um, One who'd understood that discipleship needs to be understood in terms of conflict and in terms of resistance. And of course, on the surface, Bonhoeffer's conflict was with the Nazi regime of his day. We saw that last week. But underneath, he had understood the truth of his baptism vows, which remind us that as we turn to Christ, we do so by repenting of our sins and by renouncing evil. And Bonhoeffer had understood that if that is the posture of the one who gets baptized, it's also the posture of the disciple who seeks to grow in Christ. And his conflict was therefore more deeply with the gods of his age. His struggles were against the spiritual pressures that came upon the German church to conform. Pressures to soften the message of Christ, to make it less radical, to make it more conform to general thinking, to make it comfortable. Pressures to make the message of Christ easy. Now the truth is, as we look at the Gospels, of course, that following Christ has never been easy. Uh, The first disciples um, left everything and followed him. They left their nets, the Gospels tell us of the early ones, and they followed Jesus It was a change of master, it was a change of life, it was a change of lifestyle. It had profound implications for them. And throughout the Gospels we see that actually as Christ uh, calls people to follow, so he calls them to change. Repent and believe was the sort of slogan of Jesus' ministry at the time. But it's a difficult call because repenting requires letting go. It's a form of bereavement. It's a renunciation. And the extraordinary thing as um, we read the pages of the Gospels, 
are those of us today who long to see more people come to Christ and who long to make the message of Christ as accessible as possible to as many as possible. We discover a Christ who at times makes it jolly difficult to follow him. Think of Luke chapter nine, where he says, where we read this, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. It's not a great marketing strategy, is it really? And funnily enough, in contrast to Jesus, we often today want it easy, don't we? We like the comfortable words, as the Book of Common Prayer used to call them, but we easily reject the challenge of following Christ. Now, Bonhoeffer was a prophet, and he understood in his day that the church needed shaking up. And so at the heart of his book, The Cost of Discipleship, is the notion he developed of cheap grace as opposed to costly grace. Let me quote him because I think he does it better than me. Cheap grace, says Bonhoeffer, and this is the opening of his book, the first phrase. Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like a cheap jack's wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, the consolations of religion are thrown away at knockdown prices. Cheap grace means grace as a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Grace alone does everything so everything can remain as it was before. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. It is grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Cheap grace is the grace we bestow on ourselves. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin 
and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. You were bought at a price. And what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. I guess nowhere in the pages of the Gospels is costly grace more evident than in the passage we had read this morning, the story of the rich young man. The rich young man actually asks a good question, doesn't he? What can I do to receive eternal life? That's a pretty good question. That's maybe the most fundamental question, but we get a clue to his problem in the way he phrases the question. He turns to Jesus and says, good teacher, teacher. Yes, the young man seems to be looking for an academic answer to a moral question. Eternal life for him seems to be an academic problem that's worth discussing with the teacher. Like I remember doing for hours on end when I was a student, trying to solve the world's problems and then doing nothing. But actually that's not how Jesus sees it. The man is not talking to a good master who gives opinions, but to God who commands obedience. So the young man presents to Jesus his moral problem, but Jesus is actually not interested in the young man's problems. He's interested in the young man himself. So the passage in Matthew that we read says this, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack, said the man. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. That's a pretty tough call. In Mark's gospel, we get a little clue. I love Mark's gospel because he gives completely irrelevant details. Like when Jesus is, on the, uh, is in the middle of the storm in the boat and he's asleep, Mark tells us that he was asleep on a cushion. That's very interesting. But Mark chapter 10, where we have the story of the rich young man, adds something which really sheds light on this passage because just before Jesus answers the man, Mark chapter 10 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus, you see, sees into his heart and that's where the real problem for the young man is. It's about control, the world turns around him and Jesus wants to claim him for his own. So Jesus confronts the man with costly grace. The challenge of the call, which is follow me, is go sell your possessions. The objective is not poverty. The objective is discipleship. But the means is poverty, is giving up, is letting go. So it seems the young man wants a discussion around eternal life, around the commandments, around moral systems. And Jesus says, well, the only thing that counts is me. I call you. And that's all. Listen to Bonhoeffer commenting on this passage. He says this, the answer to the young man's problem is Jesus Christ. He had hoped to hear the word of a good master, 
but he now perceives that his word is the man to whom he had addressed his question. He stands face to face with Jesus, the Son of God. This is the ultimate encounter. It is now a question of yes or no. Obedience or disobedience. And the young man turns away. Why is Jesus so hard? Why doesn't he make his message a little bit more palatable? Well, according to Bonhoeffer, Jesus' call to follow requires a first step. It's a step that places the disciple in the situation where faith becomes possible, where we can learn to believe. And that first step is a costly one. We have to let go. In fact, all the early disciples um, face that call Bonhoeffer says this, this call frees them from all earthly ties and binds them to Jesus alone. The disciples must burn their boats and plunge into absolute insecurity in order to learn the demand and the gift of Christ. Then Bonhoeffer talks about Levi, do you remember? Who was called by Jesus to leave his counting table and follow. And Bonhoeffer says, had Levi stayed at his post, Jesus might have been his present help in trouble, but not the Lord of his whole life. In other words, Levi would not have learnt to believe. The road to faith passes through obedience to the call of Jesus. Unless a definite step is demanded, the call vanishes into thin air. And then Bonhoeffer has a really interesting thing. He says, two facts are equally true. On the one hand, only he who believes is obedient. And on the other hand, only he who is obedient believes. In other words, belief and obedience go hand in hand. If we are to believe and to follow Christ, we must obey a concrete command. Actually, it's interesting. He says that's a, that's a sort of comfort for those who find it difficult to believe because he says, if you believe, then go ahead, take the first step. It'll lead you to Christ. But if you don't believe, take the first step all the same. And you'll find that as you take the step, faith becomes possible in your life. And so the disciples are totally astonished by this sort of reckoning, this sort of logic. Why turn away a, a good, well-educated truth seeker? And they say in our passage, verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, we have left everything to follow you, what then will there be for us? And Jesus then says, I tell you, at the end of time, when the Son of Man sits on his throne, you who have followed me will also sit. They're astonished, the disciples, because this is a completely new framework. It's not a way of thinking that they were used to. In popular Jewish thought, blessing accompanied wealth, and wealth was the sign of blessing. Blessing. 
And yet Jesus seems to be doing it differently. Letting go is part and parcel of faith. With man, impossible, but with God, well, with God in me, Jesus seems to be saying, all things become possible. And the proof is, you've done it, you disciples. And Peter says it himself, we've left everything to follow you. Yes, they have. Bizarrely, Peter seems to think that leaving everything to follow Jesus means there's nothing left for him. Jesus will teach him that leaving everything to follow Jesus is actually the secret to gaining everything. A hundred times as much as you've left and in addition eternal life, that's what the young man wanted from the start if you remember. But also a new way of looking, a new way of living, a new way of counting, a new way of valuing, a kingdom way of living. And so it is like that as we look at the Sermon on the Mount and next week we'll start digging into that sermon but just reflect a little bit on the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. It is so hard. The bar is set so high. Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. He says, you heard it said, but I say, and each time Jesus seems to be tightening the requirements. And then chapter five of, Mark, of Matthew, um, at that, that first section on the law ends up where he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. An unusual, costly way of living. And yet if we follow Bonhoeffer's interpretation, Jesus sets the bar so high because we need a change of worldview. We need a change of mindset. Keep in our mindset and it's an impossible requirement. But if it's about renouncing, letting go, if it's about recognizing what we do not have, what we lack, and opening our hands to receive from God, then things become possible. We can, after all, only become righteous in Christ. But the first step is to let go. And that is how we learn to trust God alone. The cost is part of the call. Of course, the cost's not everything, because Christ promises life, promises life, but it is life through death. Listen to Bonhoeffer again. It may be a death like that of the first disciples who had to leave home and work to follow him. Or it may be a death like Luther's, who had to leave the comfort of the monastery and go out into the world. But it is the same death every time, death in Jesus Christ, the death of the old man at his call. Jesus' summons to the rich young man was calling him to die because only the man who is dead to his own will can follow Christ. Now, Bonhoeffer was speaking, of course, to his generation. As he had one eye on scripture, he had another eye on the church, the German church. And we know that his opening um, gambit in the cost of discipleship, I read it earlier on, is about cheap grace being the deadly enemy of our church. 
And cheap grace, I suppose, if it's presented to you on a plate, is pretty recognizable. But the thing about the German church is that it had gradually infiltrated. It was a slow process. I remember a few years ago uh, reading an amazing novel by Cressman Taylor called The Day of No Return. I think that's how it's translated into English. And uh, she, in an extra, she's an American author who wrote in the 1940s, it was published during the war in America. And uh, she tells the story of a young German theologian who's training to become a pastor. His father is a Lutheran pastor. And it just tells the story of how little by little the university and the training institutes are infiltrated by Nazi ideology. And it tells of a discussion between the young Karl, who's the trainee student, and his father, who's the experienced pastor. And time and again, Karl comes to the pastor and to his father and says, can't you see what's happening? And dad says, it's okay, it'll work out in the end, don't worry. Until the day when they wake up and it's no longer possible to proclaim Christ because everything has been turned into the German Christian church with the Nazi bishop. And the professors are no longer able to teach as they could before. It happened gradually. Now, we of course are not in um, Nazi Germany. Fortunately, we have freedoms that they didn't have. But we too are at risk of buying cheap grace. It infiltrates the church because it's everywhere in the world. Comfort, an easy ride, pressure to conform. This morning in the Bible in one year um, commentary, there was a nice little quote from Nicky Gumbel talking about a, an old lady who was asked, um, one day at the age of 104 what the best thing about living uh, to 104 was and she said oh the best thing about being 104 is there's no peer pressure <laughs> but friends most of us are not 104 we live, in a, we live in a day where we are squeezed where the pressure to give in is strong well maybe Bonhoeffer can remind us that the call to follow is costly and that we need to be ready to obey repentance and renouncing denying ourselves dethroning ourselves letting go sometimes it looks more like a fight than a sleep but the first step is possible when we hear the call of Christ when the young man saw that Jesus loved him it was possible for him to choose life and the proof is the disciples did it. And that is who Jesus speaks to in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, don't worry. He says, don't fear. Your heavenly Father. Seek first the kingdom. And then blessing. Blessing upon blessing. Not easy blessing. Not cheap blessing. Not cheap grace. But costly blessing. That comes to those who walk the way of Christ. So friends. This morning, let's choose costly grace. Christ gave his life for us and calls us to follow him. Amen.